Thanks for listening to one of our messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in person and online. To find out more about our church or to connect to any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. First Sunday of the year, so we're going to be in church this week, right? That's going to fix our families and our lives. I applaud it, all right? <laughs> um, hey, if you're new to CBC uh, or maybe you've been here for a long time, a couple things I want to say to get it out of the way. One is December makes up about 18, 19% of our giving, and I'm not going to stop down and say anything about giving. I'm just going to say, uh, man, I just appreciate everybody that gave in December. We exceeded our planned budget in December by about 20%, and you guys are awesome, and God is good, so just thank you. Um, the deacons will do more and you can ask good questions. I'm not the guy for that. I went to seminary. There are no math classes in seminary, okay? Uh, but I just want to say I'm appreciative and God is good. Uh, second thing is if you're new to CBC, every January we do a spiritual discipline rhythm. If you don't know what that is, it's a practice that we instill in our lives to help us look more like Jesus because let me tell you what our interests are for our time here together. I have very little interest in you leaving this place knowing more about God for God's sake. I have very little interest with you leaving this place being able to do better at Jesus' jeopardy. I have every interest in the world with you leaving this place knowing more about God so that it changes who you're becoming. I have much interest in us together as a community living out the beautiful ways and rhythms of Jesus to a hurting world that needs to see that Jesus is good and beautiful again. I have every interest in this world at taking what we know as it's forming who we become. And so at CBC, every January, we follow and practice a spiritual discipline. And this is how we define it, just in case it's been a year and you've forgotten. Spiritual disciplines are the way that we participate in the work that only God can accomplish, the work of changing our hearts. Because we're all on a journey to look more like Jesus and sometimes we need some help. And so we talk about things like prayer and fasting and simplicity and silence and Sabbath. And this year we're talking about the spiritual discipline of hospitality. Because I think it's really needed when you look at the cultural landscape of our world. And let me tell you something before we move on. This is simply an invitation to our people. We are not a legalistic church. Whether or not you choose to practice hospitality or Sabbath or simplicity or fasting or even prayer won't make God love you more tomorrow than he does today. Know that. A healthy spiritual practice comes from a place of security and knownness. It comes from a place where you know you're loved by God and that motivates action, not the other way around. And so today, this morning, is the beginning of three weeks in a spiritual practice called hospitality. It's an invitation for all of us to join together as God leads and that takes some maturity. I have to know you and trust you and trust that you're listening to the Spirit, and I do. And so the next three weeks is an invitation for us together to ask the question, what would it look like? How would we look more like Jesus if we more intentionally and more seriously practice the rhythm of hospitality in a hurting world, in a hostile world? But if you're new to CBC, I'm going to say that several times this morning just so you feel welcomed and known. Um, if you're new to CBC, before we dive into the text this morning in Luke 19... We, we have a rhythm every Sunday where we get together and acknowledge the culture we're in and remember the space is different. We, we acknowledge that we live in a critical world because we're insecure and prideful all at the same time. We live in a critical world that seeks to tear down and not build up. 
But as we come together as the fellowship of followers of Jesus, what we realize is that what Christ calls us to do is use his scripture, not as a battering ram for others, but as a betterment for us to, to look inward first. And we have this phrase that we say. We like to say that the move of the spirit is inward to conviction, not outward to critique. What that means for us is that today I know that the Holy Spirit is going to do a work in your spirit. Are you willing to ask the question of how he's moving? So we're just going to pray. I'm going to ask that you pray that you might hear the Spirit this morning. You pray for me that I might do a good job showing us what God is teaching us today, that we might all see and hear together so that we don't just know God, but we become more like Jesus as we leave this place. Join me and let's pray. God, I'm thankful to be here. So many places we could be. It's encouraging and right that we center our lives around the worship of the only thing that can withstand the weight of our worship. So this morning, Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence and we acknowledge that you are good and God, we acknowledge that you're worthy of our worship. Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning on this concept of hospitality that we know but don't know at the same time. Teach us and lead us, convict us and grow us. If you're comfortable, just take a couple seconds and say a silent prayer and just ask the Holy Spirit this morning to, to speak to your spirit that you might see it and recognize it for what it is. I ask that you pray for me that I might do a good job of showing us the goodness of God in this text, of relating the spiritual truths of hospitality so that we might leave knowing full well that God is a hospitable God to us. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said... Amen, let's go. Luke 19, if you're there. I, I just turned 39 a couple weeks ago, and I know what you're saying, Charlie, you don't look a day over 42, I have kids. Um, I just turned 39, and what scares me more than anything is more and more now I do the thing when I'm like back in the day, you know? I'm 39 and I'm already old man, get off my lawning, too, too much for me, you know? And so when I, when I look around at what we're going to study the next three weeks, this idea of hospitality, I look at the cultural landscape around us, and I, I swear to you, I feel, like, I feel like our world is more hostile than it used to be. I, I feel like that we're in a place where the way that we communicate to one another, the preconceived notions we have for one another are harder and more hostile than they used to be. And I remember the moment in my life when I think it changed. You know, they say that COVID didn't create new things as much as it sped new things up more. And so for Church World, for example, we did about 10 years worth of growth in about two months. People went online and, and, and all the things. People that are going to leave in 10 years left in two months anyway. And we said, we'll see you at Easter. It was a beautiful exchange, right? And, and um, I remember I, we had these things online. Like every Wednesday, I did a 20-minute spiel. And, and I was online, and, and I said something. It was down the middle of the road because I wanted to love people on both sides of a really divided time. And an old student of mine commented, and he said something mean about me. And then he said something mean about my mother. And, and I typed back and I said, she's a sweet, sweet lady. Let's leave her out of this, you know? And I thought to myself, what road have we crossed that we hadn't crossed before? We're in a more hostile place than we used to. I think the way we communicate to one another is more hostile than it was even two, three, four, five years ago. And that was a moment for me when I recognized that we're a more charged culture. The hostility sits closer beneath the surface than it used to. 
And, and I don't think that's just my experience. I think that you could probably extrapolate that too. We just had family and friends over for Christmas, and it was probably full of tension where you were afraid if you said the one wrong thing, they wouldn't speak to you for a year, you know? We live in this place. We don't want to say the wrong thing all the time because we're so afraid because we don't interpret language and people with grace anymore, just hostility. It's that quote that we say often that we see ourselves with our best intentions but our uh, others as their worst example, you know? That we live in a more hostile world. There's a poll that came out last year it talks about this thing called the perception gap. It primarily deals with uh, political discourse, but it also extrapolates it out to broader themes among American society. And it, it actually surveyed a couple thousand Americans, and it came to this conclusion. We have a deeply distorted, quote, a deeply distorted understanding of each other. We call this Americans, quote, perception gap. Overall, Democrats and Republicans imagine almost twice as many of their political opponents as reality hold views that they consider extreme. More than three-quarters of Americans believe our differences are not so great that we can't overcome them together. Yay. But someone scrolling through social media news feeds or switching on cable TV or talk radio could be easily convinced that we're a country heading towards civil war. And that's the truth. We are a more hostile culture than we used to be. I think in the middle of that, the problem in this hostile world is that hospitality is extremely difficult to find. And in the middle of this hostile world, I think hospitality is exactly what the gospel calls us into. There's a priest named Henry Nouwen who wrote a great book called Reaching Out on Hospitality. He said, our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at the surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear, intrude, and do harm. You know when he wrote that? 1975, but it sounds like today. He also goes on to say, and I love this, it, it, if there is any concept worth restoring to its original depth and evocative potential, it's the concept of hospitality. And so we're going to spend the next three weeks in a hostile, hostile world trying to recapture the beauty of hospitality because here's the deal. I, I think, and this is the first week, I think it's at the heart of what the gospel is. So over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three tables, if you will, that Jesus sat at. And we're going to talk about um, how Jesus practiced hospitality and how it transformed those that followed him. Hopefully, it'll incite us to uh, be more hospitable to those around us. And as we look at the three tables of Jesus, the three ways or elements of hospitality, what we find is the heart of God in the middle of it and a call for his people. And so today is table one. It's uh, the hospitality table of invitation. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 19. It's a very popular story. We're going to use it as kind of our mooring for this morning. It goes like this in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho. He was passing through it. A man named Zacchaeus was there, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to get a look at Jesus, but being a short man, he could not see over the crowd, verse 4. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus because he was going to pass that way. And then when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down quickly, because I must stay at your house today. So, so you've probably heard this story. You probably know the song. I sing it with my daughter all the time before she goes to bed. It's a simple story about God passing by a guy who didn't think Jesus would look at him. And then he says, in the middle of that, I found you in the tree. I see you in the tree. Come down quickly, because I must stay at your house today. We're going to use the story as a mooring point, a tethering point. But what we're also going to do is look systematically at what the Bible says about hospitality. Systematically means we're going to look at all of Scripture. Because let me tell you something. When the Bible talks about a theme from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, that theme is important for us as the people of God. 
it, and all throughout the scriptures, we have this overwhelming theme of hospitality from Israel in the Old Testament to Jesus in the New Testament to Pauline epistles and those after in Leviticus. This is what God says. He commands his people. And the rules of God are meant to show other people the heart of God. Just like the rules in my household are meant to be broken. That doesn't sound right. The rules in my household are meant to show what we value as parents to our kids. Like, don't hit, don't scratch, please stop markering on the couch. Little things like that. This is what it says in Leviticus. God says, this is my heart to his people. When an alien lives with you in your land, do not mistreat them. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself. For you were aliens in Egypt. Big theme there that we were all enemies toward, hostile towards God before he found us. And really that idea of hospitality in the Old Testament wasn't just something they should do to be nice. It was actually a legal obligation they had. In the Talmud, which is a Jewish book talking about the oral interpretation of the law with a couple other things, it spells out how you treat strangers, not as an option, but as an obligation as the people of Israel. It was deeply rooted in how God said for them to live. Fast forward to the New Testament, and Paul says it like this in Romans 12, contribute to the needs of the saints, pursue hospitality. We read it this morning in 1 Peter 4, one of the other epistles. It says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Or even in Hebrews 12, the writer says, do not neglect hospitality because through it some have entertained angels without knowing it. One thing we have to know before we go anywhere else is fundamental to the story of the gospel is the narrative of hospitality. It is woven all the way through. The problem is we live in a place and a time, we always have, when we get the wrong picture of who God is. And we see the picture of a time-out God, not a time-in God, you know? One of my favorite theologians, a dude named N.T. Wright, he, uh, he was a chaplain at a school in the UK, a secular university. And he'd go up to new students And he'd say to new students, hey, how are you? My name is N.T., and I am the chaplain here. And these students would look at him, and they'd say, yeah, don't waste your time. I don't believe in your God. And he would say, what God is that? And then they would list for him the characteristics of the God they thought he believed in, the God of the Old Testament, maybe some misunderstood Bible stories, a wrathful vengeance, you sin, so I'm going to kick you out of the garden kind of God. And N.T. Wright would look at these students. I love this. He'd look at I think this is our job as Christians in this world, by the way. He'd look at these students, and he'd say, yeah, I don't believe in that God either. And they would say, what God do you believe in? And one thing we have to do from the very beginning is understand that at the beginning, God started with hospitality. At the end, God ends in hospitality. That's the biblical narrative. Instead, we believe in a God that said, you sinned, I have to kick you out. The difference is that's a biblical event, not the biblical story. The biblical story is one where God found us in the beginning, created us out of love, and tried in every way he could and used every piece of might he had and the power of God to to resurrect Jesus to actually win us back. The story of the Bible, not the event of the Bible, The story of the Bible is a hospitable God pursuing his people who are hostile to him. Even if you look at the narrative of scripture, it starts with us in a garden. It ends with us in a city of God, Revelation 21, saying he will wipe all the bad stuff from your eyes. He'll wipe the tears and the sadness and the sorrow, and you'll end in a city. Started in a garden, ended in a city. Our God is a fan of urbanization, everybody. All right? That's what I tell my farming family in Iowa. We don't talk much. Um, 
It's this idea that from the get-go, God has passionately pursued his people with a hospitality that is second to none. The Bible begins with God making a home for humanity to dwell with him in a garden, and the Bible ends with the God making a home for believers to dwell with him in a city. It's a story of God's hospitality to us and to you. If you don't first understand the hospitality of God, you don't understand the heart of God. So when we talk about hospitality, man, this isn't just something we do because it's kind or nice. It's not just a brunch on Saturdays for our friends. It's something way deeper. It's the heart of a God who is hospitable to you when you were hostile to him. That's the gospel. In his book, The Simplest Way to Change the World, Dustin Willis talks about hospitality, and he says this. Throughout the saga of history, God consistently initiates a relationship. He's a gracious host constantly welcoming in wayward sinners who deserve his wrath, a people whose only hope is that he would show them undeserved hospitality. It's that great verse in Ephesians 2 when it says that you are wicked, I'll paraphrase, but God, because of his goodness, not yours. We are in this room because of the hospitality of God. And to believe anything other than that is not to believe in the actual God of the Bible. And so when we start the conversation of hospitality, we have to begin with the idea, with the understanding, with the theology that God first and foremost is a hospitable God to a hostile people because those then become our marching orders as followers of Jesus. So the story continues. And Jesus says, he looks at the, the, the tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down. It says, now a man named Zacchaeus was there, a chief tax collector. We read it and he was rich. He was trying to get a look at Jesus, but being a short man, he could not see over the crowd. And, and I love that for a couple reasons. And you'd think, you'd think that um, in, in that culture, the followers of Jesus would say, man, this is a great thing. Jesus has found the, the little man among us that can't find Jesus. He's found the hurting and the helpless. And the problem what Jesus does in this text, what I love about this text when it relates to hospitality, is what Jesus does is he deepens their understanding, even in the first century, of what hospitality was. I don't know if you guys have any friends that are from the Middle East. Um, I had one in high school that was from Jordan. And I went over there a couple times. And I'll never forget the first time I went over there. It was probably night or so at night. I think it was 16 or 17. And I just went in their home. And it was like a Tuesday. And the mother said, are you hungry? And I said, no. And she said, okay, I'll cook you some food. And I said, please don't. And then she kept bringing out dish after dish after dish after dish. It's like I wasn't even there and I didn't even matter. She just kept bringing things out. It was an amazing three or four hour experience of pitas and dolmas. It was, it was outstanding. If you've known Middle Eastern people, they're incredibly hospitable people. What, what Jesus does here in the middle of a very hospitable culture is say your idea of hospitality is, is not full unless you fully understand who you're supposed to be hospitable towards. So when Jesus looked at this tax collector and said, hey, today, you and me are going to go to your house and we're going to eat a meal together at the first table. I would expect his people to say, good for Jesus, way to go. But instead, this is what they said. They said the people saw it and they complained. And they said, he is the guest of a man who is a sinner. You probably know this, but tax collectors weren't well-liked people in the first century. Jews at this point were enslaved by, oppressed by the Roman Empire. But they basically, Rome did whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. They taxed them however they wanted. They took their land, they took their property. And one mandate in the Christmas story, they killed children. I mean, Rome was not kind to Israel. Israel was not kind to Rome. They had a very hard relationship between the two. And tax collectors were actual Jewish people in a culture that valued the collective over the individual were Jewish people that said, I'm going to flip sides. 
I'm going to take money from my people and give it to the people oppressing my people. And in the middle of that, I'm going to get rich because it makes myself feel better and probably assuages all that guilt when I sleep on my mattress of money, you know? And so there was a literal hatred for tax collectors. And so that's why when Jesus speaks to this man, these people say, how could he do that? He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. In that culture, staying in a person's home amounted to sharing their sins. So these people don't understand how Jesus can be hospitable to somebody so hostile to them. Because I guess we're all on board with brunch on Saturdays. Not Sundays because you're here. Brunch on Saturdays with our friends. The difference we have to understand if you fully understand the heart of God is that hospitality, biblical hospitality, goes beyond the boundaries of friendship into the dangerous waters of strangers and even, dare I say, enemies. Literally, the word in the Greek is two words come together. It's a word we have for friendship and love and a word we have for strangers. It's the idea that it's a hospital for people who don't know they're sick or maybe do know they're sick. That's why a sister narrative to this story is in Mark chapter 2 when Jesus dines with Matthew and the Pharisees come by and say, how could you eat with them? And he says, it's the sick people that need to be healed, not people who don't think they're sick. They don't have a need for me because they think they have all they have in themselves. And so in the middle of this, what we get to this fuller definition of hospitality, it comes from Henry Nouwen. He says, hospitality is the primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Biblical hospitality is the polar opposite of cultural trends to separate and to isolate. It rejects the notion that life is best spent fulfilling our own self-interest or desires. It condoned or, or carted off or, or separate from others and built in our little private fortresses that are our houses. Biblical hospitality chooses to engage rather than unplug, open rather than close, initiate rather than sit idly by. Biblical hospitality is a place where we can take all people, friend, enemy, stranger, and make them into friends for the sake of the kingdom of God. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. And here's the crazy thing in the first century world is he's deepening their understanding of Christian hospitality. And from here on out, the distinctive between Christian hospitality was his emphasis on including the poor and the neediest ones who could not return the favor. Luke 14, Jesus talks about it. He says, you're going to invite people to your banquet, invite people who can give you back nothing. The poor and the widowed and the destitute and the despondent. He deepens their understanding as hospitality not being something earned, not being in response to somebody's contribution to your life, being something to others that they can probably never repay because you know that's what God did for you. In the first century world, even before, um, the, the Greco, the, the, the idea from Greece on hospitality was basically you invite people into your home that could contribute. Cicero says it like this. He says, houses of illustrious men should be open to illustrious guests. But the Christian ideal of hospitality is far deeper than that. Fast forward a couple centuries to a guy named Constantine who brought Christianity into the mainstream. His tutor for his kid named Lactinius, he says this in response to Cicero. He says, our bounty on suitable persons um, is not the way of Jesus. He says, the house of a just man ought to not open just to the illustrious, but to the lowly and abject. For those illustrious and powerful men cannot be in want of anything. St. Jerome followed it and said, let poor men and strangers be acquainted with your modest table and with them Christ shall be your guest. 
But when we talk about hospitality, it is our way of showing people who are hostile to God that God is beautiful. I sat with an old student of mine, a friend of mine, over the Christmas break, and they're having a hard time with Jesus. They're having a hard time with faith. They don't necessarily see the point. They're kind of in this kind of abject atheism slash nihilist place, which basically means, does anything matter? Is any faith real? And she had an interesting question for me. She said, Charlie, even if, if, if there was no heaven, if, if the whole Jesus thing wasn't true, I very much think it is, by the way. Please keep that in mind. Uh, if the whole Jesus thing, would, would you still follow the ways of Jesus? And I said, yeah, I think I would. I think I would. Now, now, again, keep in mind, I very much think it's true, and heaven is a real place, but absent of that, I think the ways of Jesus are the most beautiful ways to live. Hospitality shows people that. It shows people that I'm just not in it for your friendship so that you might know God and get in heaven one day. Man, that'd be awesome. But I'm in it because the ways of Jesus are good and kind and filled with love and patience and goodness, and that's the kind of world I want my kids to inherit. So yeah, do I believe the ways of Jesus are good? Yes, I do. And even if, even if you don't believe in Jesus, maybe today is just your invitation to look at the ways of Jesus and ask the question, is this a good way we want our world to run? One where love overcomes, overcomes hatred and hostility is overcome by hospitality. So when we talk about the invitation of Jesus, it was shocking for a few reasons. But I think mainly when we invite people, and this is the hard part, man, invitation is the beginning of hospitality. And we have to realize that when we invite people that are unlike us into a relationship so that they might see the goodness of God, we're saying a couple things. We're saying one, that the exclusivity of Jesus is inclusive and hospitality is at the heart of the gospel. We want people to know that. And there's a few reasons, I think, why the Jews were mad at this point. One, I think invitation does a couple things that's difficult for us to overcome. I think, I think fundamentally, invitation to others not like us threatens our own security. You know that? I got in a conversation a couple weeks ago with someone on staff, and they were mortified to know that there are several nights where I've slept soundly when my garage door has been wide open. And they were mortified and said, how, how could you? And I said, because I live in Highland Village, and it's like the safest city in Texas. I said, secondarily, we're kind of renoing this house. We haven't done anything to the outside. It looks pretty rough if you're just looking down my street saying, which one am I going to pick off, you know? <laughs> I got a hardy backer in the front. I got, like, broken wood everywhere. Like, come on, everybody, you know? They were mortified by that. And I said, I, I just don't think, here's my question is, when did, when did security become our best good? Security is a good, I love it. Buckle your seatbelts, kids, and drive the speed limit. But beyond that, when, oh when, has the gospel ever said it's chief good for you is that you'll never get hurt? We can't bubble wrap everybody in this world. Oftentimes in the middle of pain, we, there's progress. Now, we don't go seeking it out, but in the middle of that, what I think the gospel calls us into, what hospitality calls us into, is this, <coughs> excuse me, this rhythm or pattern where we see security for what it is, and we strive after that, but there are more important things than security when it comes to other people knowing Jesus, that we might show them that God is good, that we might show them that, that people, that strangers, aren't just something to be scared of, but there's something to embrace because there's a better why behind the what. And so one, I think we don't invite people. I think they were terrified of, of Zacchaeus here because he worked for Rome. He could do what he wanted. He could take all their money. He could have them beat up. Why would you invite that guy to your party? 
already be friends with that guy. I think invitation threatens our security. Uh, Two, I think invitation primarily, it threatens the, the status quo of things. Here's a small secret. We like our church the way it is right now. That's why we're here. There's a, a, a principle called the rule of scaffolding. Have you guys heard this? It might just be a church planting rule. But they teach it in church planting classes. And the rule of scaffolding is if you're going to go and plant a church and take your team of 20, 30, 40 people, or if you're a village plant, 275 people, if you're going to go and take your people, the rule of scaffolding says basically that the people you plant with aren't the people you grow with. It says, and this is in other church planting classes, that roughly 50 to 80% of the people that help you plant your church won't be there by year five. You know why that is? Because the church they signed up with isn't the church that they have in year five. It's hard. It changes. My role changes. I'm more decentralized. I'm more centralized. I have less influence. I have more influence. It's this idea that by fundamentally inviting others in that aren't like us, church is probably less and less for me and like me. And that's a difficult thing when church is supposed to be something that I love and want to go to and attend. It's this idea that fundamentally it threatens the status quo. But here's another truth I find just as powerful is that, you know what, if I hold on to things the way they are now in perpetuity that breeds unhealthiness. If I treat my four-year-old the same way I do today when she's eight, that is very unhealthy. We have no guarantee in the future. And that's scary but beautiful. All we can do is appreciate what God is doing here and now and follow how he leads. And if this church changes, and it it will. If your life changes, and and it will. We ask the question, what is God doing and how is he good to us in the middle of that? We're not afraid to change. We're not afraid of threatening the status quo because we believe that God is working all things out for good. And so we invite people in that might scare us. We invite people in that might be different because we understand that God is doing something. And finally, I think that what we see the most in this story is that the invitation to Zacchaeus, it, it threatens their air of superiority that they had. Even though the Jews were held captive and oppressed and didn't have as much money, they still felt morally and ethically superior to the Romans and tax collectors. We studied Romans last fall. You see it. The whole beginning of that book is Paul breaking down Jewish privilege and saying, hey, look, you are not better than anyone else because of the Old Testament Jewish people. You are not more favored by God because he gave you the Old Testament. That was good and beautiful. God is gracious, but God loves all people, Jews and Gentiles alike. You are not any better. Understand that. Your sins are sins just like their sins are sins. You need the same amount of Jesus. And so what he does in this moment when he invites Zacchaeus to join him for a meal is he basically breaks down Jewish privilege and says this guy has just as much access to God's goodness as anybody else. And so what that leaves these people to believe that they have nowhere to run to believe that they're any better than anyone else. When we ask people to join in God's effort, we realize something, that we all need the same amount of Jesus regardless of how many times we go to church. My brother, I have a twin brother, and uh, he moved to Arizona after college. <clears throat> and I went to undergrad and grad school, and then uh, I got a job as a long-haul trucker, because, you know. And, and as I was doing that for about a year, before Crossroads felt pity on me and hired me, as I was doing that for about a year, um, I had a swing through Arizona. And he was in finance at this point and doing things and making monies with commas. I had no idea what that was about. And... Um, and I had a route through Tucson where he lived, and I was staying with him, and, and I said, hey, I got to go unload this truck. And, and my brother and I actually, all through college, we'd come back, we worked for a moving company. We worked for a warehouse in, in uh, Dallas. And so we spent the days driving all around the Metroplex, dropping off furniture and moving houses. 
It is motivation to go back to college, everybody, all right? <laughs> I loved going back to school. <laughs> and so he had a big boy job now, and I said, hey, I got to go do this route and drop these things off. And he says, I'm going to come with you. And I said, why would you choose to come with me? And he said, because as you were talking about it yesterday, he said, there was a moment when you were talking about it that, that I thought I was better than that, and I'm not. And I need to do it to remind myself that I'm not. Oh, that was really beautiful. I heard a story this week about a rabbi and a student, and the student asked the rabbi, a lot of people used to see, or in the Old Testament, saw the face of God in the olden days. And they said, why don't we see the face of God anymore? And the rabbi thought about it, and he responded, because nowadays nobody wants to stoop that low. And it's this idea that hospitality and invitation thrives where fear and complacency and pride dies. It's the idea that sometimes we're not hospitable to others because we have an inflated view of self, because we're afraid, because we don't want things to change. I'm so glad God didn't buy into any of those three things for us. So what we get to this morning is this idea that hospitality sets our hearts to see the value in others. It emerges from a willingness to create time and space for others, and it, here's the big idea, and hospitality begins when we decide, when we see the value, when we finally invite others in. If we're going to have a practice of hospitality around this place, we have to start with the idea that it begins with us accepting the charge to invite others in. And, and let, me, let me tell you something. I am not saying, this is not a sermon to get more people in butts and seats at CBC, for real. This is a question for you to ask. How do you initiate conversations around God's goodness with people that need to see God's goodness? How do you create that space? And it might be bring them here. It might be bring them somewhere else. Go do that. Please come back afterwards, though, okay? Uh, it might be that. It might be a coffee shop and a conversation. The question this morning is how are we, if we're living out this practice of hospitality to make us look more like God because hospitality is at the heart of God, how are we inviting others in so that the work of hospitality can begin in and through us so that we might look more like Jesus? Because about the mid-90s and the early 2000s, the church got this idea in the States that if we build really big buildings, people just show up. And then maybe we'll start the service with like rock songs that aren't really rock songs and we can feel cool about ourselves, you know? And here's, let me tell you a secret that people no longer in our culture are curious about God like they used to be. They're just going to swing in the doors on Sunday morning because they're bored, because they're not, because brunch was invented when I was in college and we're not going back, everybody, all right? It's this idea that our job as the people of God is to be hospitable to those that are hostile to God because it's the heart of the gospel. And buildings don't draw people anymore. Relationships with people that know the goodness of God do. And so we begin our conversation on hospitality by simply asking the question, where is God inviting us to be hospitable to someone who is hostile to the gospel? And the people who aren't. Don't lose that element either. Friends are good. But that's what God did for us. And this is how our story ends. Zacchaeus stopped. And he said to the Lord, look, Lord, half of my possessions I now give to the poor, and I've cheated anyone out of anything. I'm paying them back four times as much. In the Jewish law, you had to pay twice as much. He's going above and beyond. Verse 9, then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. It's a beautiful response of what the power of invitation does to a dude that never got invited by the Jewish people, that was too short to be seen by the Roman people, that felt isolated and out of place. Jesus says, I see you and you're welcome. Please come and join me. And that simple invitation, the power of that invitation, the value that it showed to Zacchaeus changed the way that he saw God. 
Why do we think it's any different for us? Why don't we invite people in to see the goodness of God like Jesus did? The power of hospitality begins when we start inviting people in because that's how people see the goodness of God from people that know it. There's a, an ethicist in the 20th century named Philip Hale. He spent years studying the human capacity for evil and good. And this is what he says. He said, the opposite of cruelty is not simply freedom from cruel relationships, it's hospitality. Hospitality puts an end to injustice. It's a spiritual practice, a way of becoming more human, a way of understanding yourself. Hospitality is both an answer to modern alienation and injustice and a path to deeper spirituality. Hospitality is a practice we're called to live out so that people might fully see a God who's hospitable to them, even if they're hostile to God. And in a hostile culture, I think hospitality is exactly what people need to see to fully see how good God is. And so we begin today with this invitation, this invitation to practice this rhythm of hospitality in our lives. And, and next week, we're going to put a little more flesh on it, and we're going to look at how it's practiced week in and week out and get into the daily grind and why it's really important and some ideas on what it might look like. But we can't get there if we don't start here. Hospitality begins when we decide to start inviting people in. This beautiful picture is exactly what God did for us. It's not some old and outdated practice, it's a biblical idea of utmost importance because the primary way that we tell the astounding story that God hasn't given up on us, the story I need to hear. And as we practice hospitality, we follow in the steps of our lavishly hospitable God. But here's the scary part. Because of our role in representing God to the world, when we don't walk out the hospitality of God, people see a hostile God. So our role is to be hospitable so that people might not know the wrong story about God. And so we live out this rhythm in this practice. We invite you in over the next three weeks to simply ask the question, where is God asking me to grow my hospitality so that people might see his goodness? And we start by saying, how am I being called to invite others in so that they might know the real God? In her book, it's a really great book, called Making Room, Recovering the Art of Christian Tradition by Christine Pohl. She's a prophet Asbury and has a couple doctorates, so what she says has got to be true. She says, sometimes, by the very acting out of welcome, a vision for the whole society is offered. I'm going to say that again because I love it. Sometimes, by the very acting out of welcome, by the very acting out of invitation, a vision for the whole society is offered a small evidence that transformed relationships are possible. Might it be so as we are hospitable to a hostile world? Let me pray for us. God, I am overwhelmingly gracious for your hospitality. For me. Just for me. Because I know me and I didn't deserve it. I'm incredibly gracious call us in the same practice and as we do that it begins to change us and how we see the world around us and how we see ourselves and how we ultimately understand your goodness it changes how we live because of how we're acting because we know more of you Holy Spirit help us and give us courage as we live out a gospel of hospitality show us where we can invite so that people might see it's the beginning of this practice and over the next couple weeks May we be a church that is hospitable so that people might know that God's goodness 
is for them. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.